Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. We have arrived at the second Sunday of Lent in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. And on this Sunday, we feature a particular saint named Gregory Palamas. Now, Gregory Palamas lived in the 14th century. He was the Archbishop of Thessalonica. And he was well known for a spirituality that developed in the East, especially among monastics, a spirituality called hesychism or the hesychists which basically means a silence, a kind of inner silence. Now, sometimes this spirituality is seen as controversial, especially by those in the West. It's largely because it's a little bit different to the Western mind, but yet at the same time, like always, East and West arrive at the same point, but by different means, different directions. That's the complementarity of the church. That's the church breathing with both lungs. And sometimes we don't always understand each other. For instance, the East will look at certain aspects of Western theology, most famous of which, of course, was the addition of the filioque clause in the creed. The East will look at that and say, well, that's wrong, and that wasn't right, that's heresy, etc., etc. But again, in most of these disputes between East and West, what it's really about is how one side understands the expression of the other, not so much in the fact that they are actually saying something wrong, well, which they're not. Neither side says anything wrong. It's just that it sounds wrong to one side or the other. And that's because they use different language, sometimes the same, but Latin predominantly in the West, Greek predominantly in the East, and also there's the Arabic languages, the Syrian languages, Syriac and so on but also because they come from it in the same way that man and woman come from their perspectives to the one common human experience. So naturally, a man and a woman are going to see things differently. They're not always going to understand each other's language, each other's perspectives. That does not mean that either one or the other perspective is wrong. It's just different. But in the end, man and woman arrive at the same point of humanity, of being human, and of love. Same thing in the church. We arrive at the same point of belief. 
and of love, of charity. So St. Gregory Palamas developed a certain vocabulary to describe a certain aspect of spirituality, which is very, very strong in the East and very much a part of our Lenten observance. Because during Lent, what we're trying to do is we're trying to move beyond the power, the tyranny of our fallen passions. Passions are good. They are our desire for God, really. They are motivating. They're like an engine. They're, they're a power, and they are good. But because of original sin, which is, of course, what we focus on during Lent, they have a fallen side to them. So we sometimes look at our passions as being evil in and of themselves, whether or not. Now, the East refers to these fallen passions as just that. They call them passions, but they don't mean that the original force behind them is bad. They mean that the fallen side of them is bad. And that's what we try to move beyond during the season of Lent. Through the Lenten disciplines, the increased prayer, the fasting, the repentance, the abstaining, all the self-discipline, and above all, the increased charity. I'm going to share with you some terms that come from this hesychist spirituality. Again, hesychism means silence. And before I do that, I think that many of you who may be listening who are of the Latin rite, the Western lung of the church, you may find some of this familiar, especially if you participate in Eucharistic adoration. What happens in that custom that has become very, very common and popular? It's been embraced with great zeal in the Western church today. What happens there? What do you do? You sit quietly in the presence of Christ, right? You don't say much. I mean, maybe you do internally if you're praying, but a lot of the prayer is receptive. It's a receptive prayer. It's simply basking in the presence of Christ. It is amazing what happens to people in that experience. There are many parishes that I understand in the Latin Rite who point to an increase of vocations from their parishes once they began the practice of Eucharistic adoration, especially perpetual adoration. They point to other things as well that are fruits of what they attribute to Eucharistic adoration. And why would that be? That is because in Eucharistic adoration, in what's happening there, there is a certain mystical experience. There's a certain closeness to God that brings a person into a certain grace, a certain wisdom. It allows for the Holy Spirit to act within them to move their soul, maybe towards vocation or to major decisions in life. Many people share that with me. They'll tell me all the time, oh, Father, I was in Eucharistic adoration, and this or that came to me. And oftentimes, it's a life-changing revelation or life-changing in varying degrees. But nonetheless, they do believe that something very real has happened to them in that silence. So the Western world can understand this hesychist spirituality of the East, at least, I think, in that regard. And many parishes will talk about the whole spirituality of their parish that they believe has changed, has improved, has matured when they instituted the practice in their parish of Eucharistic adoration, especially, as I mentioned, perpetual adoration. So again, the point here is silence, the quietness, the stillness. That's a better word for it, stillness. That's really what hesychism means, the stillness of the soul. And how does this happen? And what is this about? Well, a couple of words I want to share with you are words like this. Perichoresis. Yeah, perichoresis, a big Greek word, means the mutual indwelling of the Holy Trinity. And a related word, theoria theologica. Theoria theologica, meaning 
the pure infusion of God into a person. In other words, it goes beyond just head knowledge. You can have knowledge of our faith, and many people do, and I've seen many people who are very versed in the catechism, in the scripture, but they're not always such an integrated person. In other words, something else is needed besides just head knowledge. What is needed is an actual infusion of God, an actual interpenetration of the Holy Spirit and the person, a a mutual indwelling of the Holy Trinity. See, our spirituality, our whole goal, is to really become united with God, to become a partaker of the divine nature, as it says in 2 Peter chapter 1. We actually are grafted on to the very nature of God. We, We sort of fuse together with him without losing our identity. Neither one loses their identity. As God indwells and immerses himself in us and we in him, we retain our distinctive identities. He never stops becoming God. We never stop being a human being, a distinct person. But we become united in a very intimate way so that our communication with God is not just saying words or praying like as if it were just a duty and we're saying these prayerful words, which is good, of course, but it's an actual union with God. It's it's an interpenetration of us with God and God with us. This should be familiar to you if you understand the Eucharist. What is the Eucharist? Can you put it into words? Is it even about words? No, it's about an action, a presence of God in us and the union, the union, the intimate union of those presences, (laughs) those persons, God in us. We become united as one. We immerse ourselves in God, he in us. And immersion is a very strong term in Eastern spirituality. Isn't it wonderful? I mean, that's why we walk into an Eastern church and it's painted from floor to ceiling with icons and has incense and candles and so on. All that is geared towards our immersion into a heavenly reality, another reality, our immersion into the Holy Trinity. When people are married in the Eastern rite of marriage, the priest takes them by the hand And with the part of his vestment laid over their hands, he leads them around the table three times. This is symbolic of their relationship being immersed as if they're walking into God together. So that their relationship is united in God physically. They're physically walking into the Trinity, walking into the life of the Trinity and into the life of the church. So this idea of immersion is very present in the sacraments of the church, especially Eucharist and marriage. So theoria... Theologica, God's pure infusion into us. In other words, it's not something that we make happen. It's something that happens according to God's design, but that we allow to happen because we open ourselves to God by this prayer of stillness, this quiet. And again, perichoresis, mutual indwelling of the Holy Trinity. Now, how does this actually happen? Well, according to the Eastern spirituality, it happens through what we call in the East God's uncreated energies, something like what the West would call grace. Think of the sun, the sun in the sky, how brilliant and bright it is. It's so beautiful and bright and powerful that we actually can't take it after a certain degree. We can't get too close to it. Nothing can. Not because it's evil or bad or destructive, because it's so wonderful, its wonderfulness can become harmful if we don't fully respect it and understand how less we are in relation to that powerful sun. Well, think of the sun itself, that ball of burning gases. Well, emanating from the sun is, of course, light. 
and energy and vitamins and so on that enter into our atmosphere, into our world, into plants, causing photosynthesis, enters into us, giving us vitamin D and other nutrients and coloring our skin and making us feel and look healthy, making us warm. It's all good, except, of course, if we're excessive in it. And those rays that come from the sun are part of the sun, but they're not the sun in its essence. It's not the the core of the sun. It's not the sun itself. It's something that emanates from the sun. So it's part of the nature of the sun. Well, think of God in the same way. God, his essence, cannot be known by us. We cannot unite ourselves with God's essence. We can only bask in his grace. In other words, his divine energies, his uncreated energies that move out from him to us, to his creation, like the rays of the sun. And what happens when the rays of the sun strike something? Those rays change it because that thing or person absorbs the sun. They become, in a sense, the sun, not in its essence, but in its nature. It's the same thing with God and his energies, his uncreated energy. So he enters into us and we into him through that which moves out from him, from his essence. As I mentioned, we can't draw close to God's essence. We can't unite ourselves with his very essence. His essence always remains totally beyond us, totally, so, so totally beyond us. We can never be God in his essence, but we can actually become part of his divine nature. And that is the goal of all of the ascetical disciplines, especially during Lent. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the movement of our whole person into the very life of the Trinity through the disciplines of Lent. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road. Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian Spirituality, 
and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R, life, at earthlink.net. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. Before we go any further into our treatment of hesychism and St. Gregory Palamas and the ascetical disciplines that unite us to God during the Lenten season, I just want to say hello to a good friend of ours here at Light of the East who sent me a very kind message, Margaret Shemansik. Margaret Shemansik of Mahanoy City, Pennsylvania. Margaret gave me a call this week and was very, very kind and had very kind things to say about us here at Light of the East. We do appreciate your phone calls and also your emails. You can email us at taborlife at earthlink.net, taborlife at earthlink.net. So once again, hello, Margaret Shamansik from Mahanoy City. Thanks for listening, Margaret, and thanks for your kind words. St. Gregory Palamas, in developing the spirituality of what we call hesychism or stillness and talking about these uncreated energies and the perichoresis, the indwelling of the Holy Trinity, he taught, like many other Eastern fathers, he taught that What is really happening is what's called theosis or divinization or deification, which is that ongoing growth into our becoming who we really are supposed to be, our true selves, the image and likeness of God. You see, our lives, just as Lent is, are a journey of constant becoming, of constant stripping away and opening ourselves for this perichoresis, this theoria theologica, you know, this infusion this indwelling of the Trinity and the fusion of God into us, that partaking of his divine nature. And part of the sign of this, part of the, one of the things that happens along the way, is to reach a state of, and here's another Byzantine term, <laughs> epitheia. It means impassibility or dispassion. That's where we get the word apathy. It doesn't mean we don't care, that we're sullen and sort of mundane, like, oh, I don't know, I don't care, whatever. That's not what this word means. It's where we get the word apathy, but this word apatheia actually means something much more positive than that. It means to reach a state in which we are not bound anymore by the strength, the tyranny of our fallen passions. There will be a certain calm, and we move past, here comes another term, ready? Hope you get your pencils and papers out. Philautia, philautia. It means the turbulence of self-love and the tyranny of the fallen passions. In other words, self-centeredness, selfishness. That's what so much of our anger comes from and jealousy and all those fallen passions. And by the way, I'll, I'll name them off for you from the Eastern list. Gluttony, fornication, avarice, bitterness, anger, achidia, which is like a form of sloth or sadness, vainglory, in other words, self-esteem, and pride. Vainglory and pride. And notice how those two come at the bottom of the list, not because they're the least important, but because they are the most important. They are the most stubborn ones to overcome. And all these passions have their roots in something good, in a good energy. But that energy was fallen because of original sin. So the spiritual life, this stillness, this opening to God, is supposed to bring us to that state of apatheia, where 
our passions like anger and lust and gluttony and so on, they don't rule us anymore. Yes, we still have hunger, and that's okay. We can still become angry in a righteous way. There is a good kind of anger, and the way you know that is if it moves you to good action, to productive action. There is the other passions, as I mentioned, from beyond even lust and gluttony. There is avarice, you know, love of money and greed and self-esteem and so on. Now, the difference between self-esteem and self-image, okay, there's a big difference there. Self-esteem has become something that is uh, unfortunately rather abused today. Self-image is something different that's actually healthy. Self-esteem is very questionable, especially by the Eastern Fathers. They thought it was too closely related to pride and arrogance, vainglory. So we reach that state of apatheia through asceticism. Asceticism, of course, is the discipline, the practice of dying to self, in other words, getting beyond that self-love, the philatia, and being open. That's the key, openness, openness. Openness to another person, openness to God, openness to the indwelling of the Holy Trinity, of the movement of the Holy Spirit. Openness is everything. But in order to be open, we have to get the things out of the way that keep us closed. And that's why we have the ascetical disciplines, the fasting, the saying no to ourself, and then the practicing of virtues. Also part of this process is contemplation and penthos. Now, penthos means remembrance of death and the sorrow for sins. You know, actually, a number of the church fathers in the East reminded us of something very simple. It's very simple, as truth always is. Truth is always simple but profound. Think about how profound this is, yet so simple. In fact, it's so simple and so obvious, we wouldn't even think about it, even though we should. That simple truth is this. The Eastern Fathers would tell us, think about your own death for a few minutes every day. And that'll help keep a lot of things in perspective. Think about your own death. Penthos, remembrance of death and sorrow for sins. And the reason why this would be powerful is because it will remind us that tomorrow's promised to no one. The next minute is promised to no one. And then we come before, as we say in our liturgy in the Byzantine church, the fearsome judgment seat of Christ. And we always pray that we fare well before that judgment seat. Well, there's no way to know. We can't be guaranteed, but we keep striving to hopefully have it guaranteed. And that's why every minute, every minute of our life has to be spent in this kenotic state. That's another term for you. Kenosis or kenotic means self-emptying. I know I'm throwing a lot of Eastern terms at you today, but that's what we're about during Lent. We're about these terms. The indwelling of the Spirit, perichoresis, the uncreated energies, theosis, the kenosis, the self-emptying through asceticism, moving beyond philatia, self-love. And we also do that through fasting, contemplation, and the remembrance of our death and judgment. So in the Eastern observance of Lent, as exemplified here by St. Gregory Palamas, whom we celebrate on the second Sunday of Lent in the Byzantine calendar, what we do is we strive for that inward stillness. Now, there's one more way that we can arrive at that. This was the, the center of the whole Hesychus movement. It's something you've heard me talk about on this program, and sometimes you hear it on the music in this program, sung by our choir of Annunciation Parish. Very simple words. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's called the Jesus Prayer. And it is prayed with the use of something called a chutki. There's other names for it, but that's the one we use, chutki, which means basically a prayer rope made of one single cord, and the little knots are tied, and it looks like a rosary. 
and at the end there's a cross that's also made from the cord and the ends of the cross are loose like kind of fuzzy and that symbolizes a little instrument at the end of the chatki the cross and the ends of the cross the fluffy ends an instrument by which we were to wipe the tears that supposedly come from our eyes or roll down our cheeks as we are reminded of our sin that we practice that penthos remembrance of death and how far away we are from god how much we are in exile and we pray the jesus prayer lord jesus christ son of god have mercy on me a sinner very simple very profound repeated throughout the day or as you use the Jesus prayer rope the chatki but it draws us into that stillness so that we are open to the indwelling of God I want to thank you for listening I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East to hear Light of the East again visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the features and programs tab and on iTunes Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchak. The church has 2,000 years of wisdom to share on what it takes to live life gracefully. We're so overwhelmed by how much our faith has transformed our marriage and family, especially. We want everyone to experience the incredible gift that the Catholic vision of life and love really is. More to Life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchak. Weekdays, 10 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!